The first reading is from Matthew chapter 17, beginning at verse 1 through to verse 13, and it can be found on page 1026 in the Visitor's Bible. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun, and his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah, talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. As they were coming down the mountain, Jesus instructed them, Don't tell anyone what you have seen, until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. The disciples asked him, Why then do the teachers of the law say that Elijah must come first? Jesus replied, To be sure, Elijah comes and will restore all things. But I tell you, Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but have done to him everything they wished. In the same way, the Son of Man is going to suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was talking to them about John the Baptist. Um, I'll be reading the next reading, and that's just following on from where um, Emma finished. So Matthew 17 Verse 14 to 23. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. O oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, Why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, Because you have so little faith. I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. When they came together in Galilee, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and on the third day he'll be raised to life. And the disciples were filled with grief. I wonder if you ever feel like you only have a little faith. Not much faith. I wonder whether you ever worry that you, uh, that you don't actually have enough faith. And perhaps that's why your prayers don't seem to get answered. God looks at the amount of faith you have and says, no, not good enough. Do you ever perhaps look at other Christians and think, I wish I had your amount of faith? Or could it be that it's not really the amount of faith that matters? but who your faith is in. Uh, these are weighty matters. This really matters. Uh, the stakes are high here because faith is sort of everything 
in the Christian life, we think. And tonight's passage is going to help us to see what it is to have little faith and what we need to do about it. That's page 1027, this passage here in Matthew 17, and there's an outline which will help you as we go along as well. In our first reading tonight, we looked at last week, didn't we? God revealed Jesus' glory to Jesus and to three disciples up a mountain. And he revealed Jesus' glory so that they would listen to him. As they come down the mountain, they meet a familiar scene, familiar to them and familiar to us, the readers. Have a look at verse 14. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. It's like when the centurion comes to Jesus and asks for the sake of his servant, who is very sick. It's like when the Canaanite woman comes to Jesus and begs for mercy for her daughter. They come and beg for mercy for someone else. But it's different this time. The other nine disciples have already been down the mountain and they've already had a go. Do you see verse 16? The father says, I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. They couldn't do it, so Jesus, I'm now, I'm glad you're here. I'm now coming to you for mercy. Well, how would you expect Jesus to react at that point? His disciples have failed, but there's someone who needs his help. Of course. You expect him to say, bring him here. But look at this unexpected Jesus, verse 17. O unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. O unbelieving and perverse generation, they are unbelieving, this generation, not because of a lack of evidence. There are plenty of signs for them to see and believe, but because of their hard hearts, they are perverse. They refuse to believe. They will not see, says Jesus. But why does he say this here and now? Is it the fact that there's a demon on hand? Is that somehow an indication of what the generation's like? Is it because the father doesn't believe? Well, he's not asking for a sign, is he, like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. He's simply asking for mercy. If you read Mark's account of this story, the same event, it's clear that, yes, when the disciples have failed, the man's faith in Jesus begins to falter. Yes, I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Is that it? Is that why Jesus responds like this? Well, Matthew doesn't mention that, does he? He leaves that out because he wants to focus on something else. There is something else that shows Jesus that it is an unbelieving and perverse generation. And that something else is his disciples. They could not heal the boy. 
And somehow the failure of the disciples here is a sign, if they're like that, that's a sign of what the whole generation is like. The disciples say to him in verse 19, they come to Jesus in private and ask, why couldn't we drive it out? Again, what do you expect Jesus to say at this point? Being a a sympathetic, understanding leader, you'd expect him to say something like, guys, you're not the Messiah, remember? That's me. I'm the one who can do these sort of things. Is that what you think? Or uh, a bit like a a father uh, with his child. You know, Elijah, nine-year-old, my son is learning tennis. At the end of the playing together, he says, Dad, I'm still not as good as you. And I say, it's okay, son. You're a little younger. You've got time. Surely Jesus would say something like that to his disciples. You are still learning. Don't be too hard on yourselves. But Jesus is hard on them, isn't he? Verse 20. Why couldn't we drive it out? Because you have so little faith, says Jesus. Is that unfair of Jesus? Is he expecting too much of them? Well, you need to notice here, don't you, that by their question, do you notice in verse 19, the disciples think they should be able to do it. Do you see that? Why couldn't we drive it out? Would you say that to Jesus if you'd tried to drive out a demon and then he managed to do it? No, I don't think you would. You wouldn't be at all surprised that you couldn't do it. You'd think that was normal. It would have been a complete, well, it had worked. You would have been shocked. But the disciples seem to think that they should be able to drive out a demon. Why is that? Because they should. Because Jesus gave them authority to do just that. Back in chapter 10, when he sent them out to all the tribes of Israel, on their own, without him, he gave them authority. Authority to heal diseases and to drive out demons. And they did. The disciples at this point are not like us. We should not read ourselves into this story. He gave them authority to drive out demons and they should be able to do it. And so they say to him, verse 19, why couldn't we drive it out? Why didn't it work this time? Was it too big a demon, perhaps, they're wondering? No, says Jesus, not a big demon, a little faith. This verse gets our attention, doesn't it? Because there are many Christians who think that it's all about the amount of faith that you have. If you have enough faith, your prayers will be answered, they say. You'll receive what you ask for. You'll even be able to move mountains. And so go on, have enough faith, be bold, name it and claim it, whatever it is you want, and it'll be yours. And if your prayers are not answered, they say, if you are not healed when you ask for it, then clearly it is your lack of faith. You are to blame. Is that what this verse means? Because you have so little faith, 
says Jesus. Is it the amount of faith here? Have a look at the rest of the verse. For I tell you the truth, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. How big a faith do you need to move a mountain, says Jesus? As small as a mustard seed. It's the smallest seed, says Jesus. He is not saying your faith is so jolly small that it's even smaller than a mustard seed. No, he's saying even small faith would be enough. But you have a little faith. And so it must be that it's not the quantity of faith that Jesus is talking about in verse 20, but the quality of faith. It's not the amount of faith, but what that faith is in. For what is faith, this religious word that Christians talk about so much? It's simply the word trust. It's depending on something. And so you've probably heard this before, but every single one of you in this room is having faith right at this moment, aren't you? You sat down on a chair, on a church chair indeed. And you are still putting that faith in that chair. And as far as I can tell, every one of you has the same amount of faith in that chair. Though some of you have begun to move a little bit, just wondering about it. You feel self-conscious now. It is not the amount of faith that you have, is it, that matters. It's whether the chair is any good Imagine for a moment that you actually have chosen a chair that only has three legs. Perhaps you didn't realise when you first sat down. What would you be doing? Well, you'd probably choose another chair. Imagine they're all gone, all the other chairs, right? You're still on a chair with three legs. You'd be holding onto the chair in front of you, wouldn't you? You'd be sitting a little bit on the chair beside you. You wouldn't look the same as everyone else because you have less faith? No. Because there is something different about your chair. You have faith in a weak chair. And that's what the disciples have. It is not so much that they have a little faith, but they have a faith in a little Jesus. This is not the first time that Jesus says that the disciples have little faith. He never says it about anyone else, only the disciples. But back in chapter 6, do you remember, he said, why do you worry about what you will eat and what you will wear? As if you have a little God who cannot clothe you and cannot feed you. You've seen how God clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air. You of little faith, he says. Why do you act as if God is not big enough to feed you and clothe you? You have a little faith that is a faith in a little God. Chapter 8, they're there in the boat. There is a huge storm. They are petrified. And it's as if they think they have a little Jesus who's there in the boat and can't really help them. And they wake him up. And he says to them, you of little faith, haven't you seen enough to know that I could save you in this situation? Why do you act as if I'm not big enough to protect you? They have a little faith, 
a faith in a little Jesus. Chapter 16, we saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus says something about yeast. They think it's because they haven't brought any bread. He says, don't you remember how much bread I made when there were thousands of people in front of you? Why on earth do you think that I wouldn't be able to provide you with all the bread you might possibly need? You have little faith. Why do you act as if I'm not big enough to feed you? They have a little faith. A faith in a little Jesus. It's not so much the quantity of the faith that matters, but what your faith is in, do you see? And now, as this demon is before them, and they know they have authority from Jesus to cast it out, Jesus says to them in a sense, why couldn't you drive it out? I gave you authority. It could only be because you have a little faith, a faith in a little Jesus. A little Jesus who doesn't really have power to deal with a demon. Even the end of the passage, I think, when he says to them again, the Son of Man is going to be killed and on the third day be raised to life. They don't rebuke him this time. They listen. They respond appropriately. They are filled with grief. Which bit have they heard? That he's going to die. Which bit haven't they heard? That he's going to be raised to life. Why not? I think because they have a little faith. A faith in a little Jesus. And Jesus will be quite entitled to say to them, why is it that you don't think that I could be raised again? You've seen me raise other people from the dead. You of little faith, a faith in a little Jesus. Do you know what that's like? To have a faith in a little Jesus? Of course you do, because you're just like me. We worry, don't we, about will we have enough to wear? Will we have enough to eat? Will we have enough money? Will we have enough friends who will care for us? What will happen when I have that medical test? Will God look after me? We've seen God provide for the lilies and for the birds and for other people. And when we worry, it's as if Jesus would say to us, you of little faith, faith in a little Jesus, do you think that I'm Lord only over some areas of life? We worry about the world, that society is getting worse and worse, that there are evil powers in the world, that there are wars and terrorism in the world, and we sort of wonder, without saying it directly, whether Jesus can really keep a handle on it. We're scared. And it's as if Jesus would say, you of little faith, Faith in a little Jesus. Why are you afraid? Well, we think about our friends and family who reject Jesus. They're not interested in him. They're antagonistic to Jesus. They just don't care about Jesus. And we've seen Jesus change people in the scriptures. We've seen Jesus change us. But we don't think he can do it anymore. And it's as if Jesus would say to us, you of little faith, faith in a little Jesus, why have you given up on my power? What do you do, do you think, when you realise you have a little faith, a faith in a little Jesus? What do you need? 
to work on your faith? To strengthen your faith by going to the faith gym somehow? To gaze into your navel? To speak to someone else who you think has a strong faith? No. What do you need if you have a faith in a little Jesus? It's very simple. You need a bigger Jesus, don't you? You need a Jesus which is more like the real Jesus. And that's one of the purposes, surely, of Matthew's gospel that we've seen again and again. Where we see the signs that he does to show that he is God's king. Where we see his glory revealed on the mountain and the voice speaking about him from God. We need to have a bigger Jesus. And the Bible will give us that bigger Jesus. Are you reading it regularly? To be able to see that? When you have a bigger Jesus, when your faith is in a bigger Jesus, it will take away your worries. It will take away your fears. Do you want that? And not just that it will help you with your peace of mind and with your prayers. It really matters. Do you see how personally Jesus takes this? When people have faith in a little Jesus, he says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I put up with you? It's such a contrast, isn't it, between God reveals his glory and the people around him can't see his glory at all. Big Jesus, little Jesus, and it robs him of his glory. There's a reason to get your Jesus in your head bigger. Finally, though, there's some really good news in this passage. Good news about Jesus. You see in this passage, actually right here, that he is a big Jesus. You see what he does when he finds out about this demon that the disciples can't deal with? Does he think, oh dear, this is a strong one, I might be in trouble here, they couldn't do it, will I be able to do it? That would be really embarrassing. No, Matthew wants us to know it was really easy for him. Verse 16, sorry, verse uh, 18, Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed from that moment. When Julius Caesar went to England, do you know what he said about his conquering of England? I came, I saw, I conquered. That's what Matthew is saying here, isn't it? This is a big Jesus, Matthew wants us to see. And this big Jesus is faithful to those who have a little Jesus. Verse 22, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him. And on the third day, he will be raised to life. In a perverse, unbelieving generation with disciples who have known him for three years and have a little Jesus, Jesus is faithful in teaching them. Jesus is faithful in obeying God's command. And Jesus is faithful to die for them. That's what he's like for us. That's good news, isn't it? Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we confess that we have a little faith, that is a faith in a little Jesus. 
Please help us to see his glory, to see his power, to see his goodness in the scriptures, that our picture of Jesus, that our confidence in Jesus might grow and grow. And Father, we thank you so much that despite what the generation was like, despite what his disciples were like, he was faithful to you and faithful in dying for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.